1: Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, the one-stop shop for all your European football conversations. I'm Dalton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nicky Bandini. As always, a lot to talk about today. Um, Yeah, we're going to talk about Spain versus Germany. You've got to do that. Also going to talk about COVID restrictions, the latest twist in that respect. It's a Norway kind of thing. And uh, I think the Prime Minister will be delighted. We're going to talk about the Green Revolution, Italian stuff as well. Should we start, though, with the most incredible result in um, international football? I think, for a while. Spain, six, Germany, nil.
2: That wasn't Germany, was it? I think it's a Germany that's been coming for for a while. But I wonder if we should have flagged that this was going to be a gala performance because it was, it was a great tweet on the day from uh, Sid Lowe, Spanish football journalist, of course. And his hotel room was overlooking the pitch at La Cartuca in Seville, where they were playing the game. And I think as the game went on, it was such a gala performance from Spain. I think Sid would have been justified in staying in his room, ordering some room service (laughs) and perhaps some high-quality drinks to enjoy the, the game with. And in the days since, Spanish... I don't know if I could say Spanish football followers, but certainly the Spanish football media have really reveled in it because they've not enjoyed... Falling from the absolute summit that they're at in 2008, 2010, um, 2012. And for the first time, Luis Enrique talked before the game about the fact that he'd gone in with a little bit of trepidation. He didn't know if his team could do it when there was something on the line. Because, of course, it's amazing to think back to this now. But if Germany had got a point from this game, they go through to the final four of the Nations League in October next year not Spain. And, you know, I think there was something in Luis Enrique, and he he talked about it publicly, that thought, can my team step up when they really needed to? They've showed some promise, but this was really front foot. Let's grab the ball by the horns. We're going to win this game. And really, uh, Germany, and we'll come to them in a bit, they got off lightly with 6-0. I thought Manuel Neuer was all right, and again, one of he's the arguably man of the match for, yeah, them, for ex- them. Exactly, and one of the few discussions um, that there aren't in terms of personnel around the Germany team is should Neuer or Tostegen be number one. That was definitely a discussion if we go back a year, but Neuer has had a really good 2020 since he's settled down and signed a new contract at Bayern. After you go back to spring and it looked like he was leaving, it's easy to forget now, but um, him and the club were miles apart on terms of um, pay, on terms of length of contract. And really, I think the hiatus sort of focused minds and made them realise they wanted to be with each other really. And and, and that has worked for Neuer. And he, he has been himself again in, in, in 2020 for the first time in a good couple of years certainly since the 2018 World Cup. Um, but if we do focus on Spain for a minute, um, there are a few players there who really stood up. Now, of course, we'll look at Ferran Torres, who had a, a great start in the Premier League with Manchester City, getting his, his hat-trick. And I think that confidence he's got from being an important part of the Manchester City team so far has is, is, is definitely worked for him. Alvaro Morata, who... Obviously, had another goal ruled out for offside, even though it wasn't. Maybe, maybe VAR would have worked for him for, for, for once had it had it been involved. Um, but he got the first goal and he, he really made it difficult for Germany. and a, a team that I think really struggle with any sort of cohesion or identity at the back at the moment, Morata is the perfect, and especially in, in confidence Morata, Nicky, is the perfect person to take advantage of that because he can do that thing like peeling off and scoring the header for the first goal. Mm-hmm. But he makes so many smart runs. He can drop as well. He's more than one striker, isn't he? In 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 one player.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and his confidence is through the roof at the moment. I can't remember if I've talked about it on this podcast. I've definitely talked recently a few times about the fact that I just really believe that Juventus is Murata's happy place. Like it's it's mm. the one sort of club where he's felt totally at home and going back there has been this Um, rewarding experience for that obviously his, his wife is Italian and she's happy to be back there and I think that plays into it but I think there was something right from the first time he went to Juventus about how he was welcomed how he was made after years of being at Madrid where he talked about this sort of strict hierarchy you can't sit next to who you want to at lunch when he first came to Juventus and he could it felt like a home to him and I think he's slipped right back into that and I've been so impressed with him domestically not just for the goals he scored and if God you joked about it if you if he got even half of those disallowed goals back he would be looking <laughs> at a pretty big number already this season but actually now that Ronaldo's come back into the team how surprisingly well they've dovetailed actually because they haven't done that in
2: the past when they're in Madrid I think he's Did he play like, enough for that to happen in Madrid? It's a great question. I mean because I think if you look at Ronaldo and obviously part of his ego I don't think there's any doubt about that Having a striker who he feels is intelligent enough to feed him is a Mm. big deal for him. So obviously, Karim Benzema is the one with a capital T and capital O and always will be. But I think there's more than enough to make us think that Morata could be that for him.
0: Absolutely. And, And so far, it's really working. I think there was this sort of thing in Italy of when they were first coming back together after that period when Murata had been out and they're like, oh, will they pass to each other? And so far I'd say the answer is Murata will pass to Ronaldo, <laughs> whether or not it's going to be a two-week street. But look, that's all you need, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like if, if you've got Ronaldo in the team and you don't expect him to be selfish sometimes and to do things himself, then you haven't been watching Ronaldo. It's worth it if he scores you a goal every game. Um I just wanted to pick up on what you were saying at the beginning there, though, because I think, yes, with hindsight, it's easy to look at this result and go, oh, Germany have had a game like this coming because um, I think they conceded, what, 13 goals already, something in, in the, in the uh, Nations League group. They've had the sort of growing sense of vulnerability, but they're also unbeaten in 13 games. Unbeaten and
2: in I, 2020 as well, yeah. And I
0: think something that really um, stiff has been in my head that makes this result feel more striking is don't we normally expect... That when Bayern Munich are at a high ebb and Real Madrid and Barcelona are at a low ebb, that that will reflect to some degree in the national teams. I think you sort of expect that when a a team's best club sides are underperforming, that their national team will come down because generally national teams rely on their best club sides. And that nothing of this Bayern Munich team that is easily the best club side in Europe right now, in my opinion, Mm. Is, is transmitted to that Germany side is, is striking to me.
1: That, that, but, but the Bayern Munich side
2: that we're talking about is a side full of non-Germans as well, though, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, you, you look at the amount of, uh, of course, Lewandowski is rather a big exception to the rule. But on yeah. the whole, it's still steered by top German talent. Now, we talked about like the fact that Joshua Kimmich is is, is not available for this game, which I think is huge because Coquet mm-hmm. is having a real surge at the moment, playing for Spain for the first time in two years. And he's had his moments with Atletico in, in the last year where you, you sort of thought he he might sort of look back and think, what have I done with my footballing career? Like, of course, he's an Atletico legend, but could I have been more if I'd have not hitched my wagon so closely to Simeone? We know he's someone who's going to go down in the history of the club. I mean, goodness sake, he's played 467 games for Atletico Madrid and he's only 28. But I think the fact that Luis Enrique has come back has worked really well for him because he's someone who appreciates players with direct qualities as well as you know, short passing qualities and Spain are becoming more that kind of side. And I think they would have been more that in this game had Ansu Fati not been, av- had mm. Ansu Fati been available, which obviously he wasn't and he's not going to be available. or maybe not even at the next international break. We'll have to wait and see. But Koke also has been, the feeling is I think let off the chain a little bit since Thomas Partey has gone. I think that's something that Atleti didn't plan for, but it's actually quite worked for him. But that is the area, really, in, in which Spain, I I, th- I, think, I think, won this game. Also, I think if we're going on to Germany and what you said saying, Dotton, about the, 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 the Bayern players, th- this is the reason why all of the scrutiny has got to fall on Yogi Love because, of, of course, Lewandowski's Polish. Of course, Kimmich is out at the moment. But you look at, like, Sula. Um, they've got um, Gnabry. We've got Leroy Sané, who's one of the only players in Europe who's had the luxury of a pre-season due to his long injury. And I think, of course, one of the things that's come back the most and what people have been talking about with Germany for a while, even before this result, and especially former players like Bastian Schweinsteiger, who works on television for ARD, and he's been quite a fervent critic of Yogi Love and of the team, despite the fact they've gone on this unbeaten run, the, the, the idea that there needs to be a personality to this German team, that there needs to be some character. I guess the sort of things, Dotton, that we would talk about as being like quite typical German values in, in a way. Now, we know that German football has, has moved on in a way, in terms of the way it develops players in, in, in the last two decades. But I think the thing that comes up more and more in the last couple of days is When you talk about that lack of character, we think of all the side effects of empty stadiums, especially one like La Cartuja. Of course, you had the 2003 um, UEFA Cup final between uh, Porto and Celtic there. And it is a really like proper big old arena. So it's going to echo. And what everyone in Germany was talking about is you can hear the Spanish players talking. You can't can't hear the German players saying anything.
1: But the the problem, I thought, that the the, the un German side of the defence, which was the shocking part mm. of this, you know, as as good as Spain was, um, the Germans just couldn't get a grip on this zonal marking that they they the that they kept sort of sticking to yeah. and allowing the Spanish forwards to run all around the place and they were just sticking to zonal marking doesn't work for Germany. It can't do, Nicky. This must be the end of zonal marking as we know it is not a set pieces, anyway. Uh, I, I mean,
0: the marking was dreadful. Um, I, you know, I will always bang the drum for it's about how you apply it. It's not about whether or not zonal marking is a good idea. It's about whether or not you can do it well, which mm. they didn't. I mean, I thought... How should they have done it, then? Tacti- tactically, I thought um, Yogi Love was all over the place. I mean, in the second half, it felt like the entire plan was press up and play man-to-man, which they were completely overrun with. And the idea of... Um, sort of committing uh your whole team to that in a game when you're being so sort of vividly out played on the ball was mm. was bizarre um i think there was all sorts of sort of failure of leadership through through this germany side and and i would certainly extend that to the marking again i think like to me i don't know if this is because i also have some sort of um part of my career has been covering American football, where this concept of man defense and zonal defense is really standard. And they're just two different tools. They're just two different things that you can have to to, to deal with uh, an opponent and both has advantages and disadvantages. Play to your personnel, play to your, um, your game situation. I don't want to simplify it to zonal marking was the problem in a global sense. It was just bad zonal marking for Germany and
2: it's what you said about responsibility isn't it I mean whether you're man-to-man or zonal if you, if you don't take responsibility and attack the ball yeah, you exactly. know, it, it doesn't really make any difference which of those those two you and do and that
0: comes to communication a lot I think zonal yeah. marking systems do rely on communication a lot because you have to have someone you know, calling for the ball, telling someone to go. Mm. Sometimes you have to let each other know when someone's crossing your zone and going into another can, zone. Can we
1: blame that on Neuer then, because uh, several times when it, the goals went into the back of the net, he didn't turn around as most goalkeepers would and start, you know, balling at his defence. He turned around to the goalposts and like, oh my god! It, it, is, isn't
2: that isn't that cosmetic though? I, I I tend to think the thing that I was going to say before is that. It'll always come back, especially with the focus being on Yogi Love and how long he's been there and has he gone stale? His very public dumping of the Bayern trio am going back to Bayern of Müller, Boateng and Hummels last year, and I think cl- clearly, I think in the short term they could they could do with them as players because I think if there was an ex- if there was a reason for excluding them from the Germany team. And I don't agree at all with the way in which he did it. I thought it was really ungracious and ungrateful to players who've, who've done a lot for the national team. But it's, it's clear that, that their, their form has got a lot better under Hansi Flick. So I, I think that's that's a reasonable distinction to make. Boateng looked done. And when Manchester United were looking at buying him, what when Mourinho was still there, I was thinking, you must be nuts. You can't have seen him recently. But Boateng has been brilliant. Over, over the last year. Hummels is looking more himself. Thomas Muller speaks for himself. But really, we're talking specifically about the defence here. So clearly, that bit of experience, know-how and leadership would definitely help. But then again, and I, I saw this discussed in an editorial in in, in Kicker by Carl uh, Heinz Field, I think it was. And if you're going back, th- th- there's so many problems if you do go back to those guys. One, because you're doing the Steve McLaren thing of going cap in hand to a senior player who you told wasn't Mm -hmm. part of your plans anymore which weakens you and I think in excluding them in the first place he was attempting to to look strong to move on from World Cup 2018 and this dreadful start they had in the last Nations League where they got hammered in Amsterdam by Holland and also if you go back to those guys it really affects the power structure of the team because the younger guys who you expect to come to the fore and take responsibility like Goretzka like um, Gnabry, they feel a little bit diminished, maybe. They feel that it, as if they're not the top rung anymore. And also, should you really be building around people who are 31, 32? I mean, Boateng's 32, um, Hummels is going to be 32 next month. Are you going to go into the Qatar World Cup with them? For them, I think so much of it has to be not focused on this European Championship. The fact that they've not just got the, the World Cup in... In, in Qatar a year and a half down the line from from the Euros next summer they're hosting the Euros in 2024 they have got to look like the favourites for that I would say can they Nicky between now and then
1: it's a long
0: time till there I think you know it's worth remembering in all of this I think um, we've had some weird results this year Yeah, um, Liverpool got beaten 7-2 by Aston Villa Bayern Munich even despite what I said about being the best team in Europe they've got walloped 4-1 by Hoffenheim mm. I think this moment is particular. I would have very little confidence, though, in that renewal happening under Yogi Love. And I think that's the big thing. I think all of those conversations that that you've just sort of touched on, Andy, I think they are complicated. And I think the sort of the idea of sort of broad brush saying, like, we need to have faith in the old guys or we need to abandon the old guys sometimes that gets made into like this false like line in the sand people draw where like you have to do like one or the other he's done
2: that to himself though. Yeah. he backed himself into a corner hasn't I, he I agree but yeah. I, just,
0: I really remember it vividly with the um, Italy team that won the World Cup in 2006 then going on to the next World Cup with Marcello Lippi and we're going to dig in with the old guard and things kind of got worse and then there was a sort of mini renewal under Prandelli in 2012, but then again in 2014, it seemed like the old guard were at war with the young players. Like Balatelli perhaps was behaving badly at that time, but there was sort of a real clash of um, the older players and the younger players at each other. And it, it brought the whole team down. I think that you need to acknowledge that Yogi Love's had his moment. And I think he does look stale as a coach and German football has moved on light years in the time that he's been in charge. Club there. football
1: that is. Yeah. yeah.
0: Give give someone else a go at it. And I think some of those questions would get easier just from having a different person in charge. Because it's no longer the same dynamic anymore. Someone else coming in can remake that dynamic with the old players and the young players. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: So let's talk about uh, Noske Rikskringskastning, as they call it, or NRK, their BBC. It's a great word, honestly. It, 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 I, I just love Noske casting. I won't go into how to translate it literally. But, For once, I'm going to need flashcards. Yeah, but they're a representative of the uh, Norwegian state, is now trying to find a platform in European football to put across Norway's. Uh, Thoughts on social distancing and football. Um, this is the Norwegian medical chief, is it? Yeah. So,
2: so this really Dutton, starts on last Sunday on the tarmac at Oslo Airport because, um, well, Saturday we would have been actually before the game, but um, a Norway are due to um, flight to Bucharest and and play Romania. Now they've had two positive. Uh, cases in in the squad um but of course most international football has just gone on despite that you know the 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 player or players have been isolated and they've carried on you know we've looked at um the corona absences for i, I well not just the republic of ireland but uh, more so ukraine for example and so anyway there's this dispute um between um or discussion at least between the norwegian fa and um, the Norwegian Department of Health last weekend. Um, The players are on the tarmac getting ready to take off um, for Bucharest and they are told that they can't go. They have to get off the plane. They have to go and quarantine. And um, so the game in Romania last Sunday can't happen and um, Norway are going to have to forfeit that. Who was it that made the decision? The FA, the Norwegian FA, then? Or no, the it, was, it, was, it was it was the the state, the, the health department, um, part of the government, and um, so any, anyway, there there they are, um, quarantining, and they get um, basically they hope to play the game um, in midweek um, against Austria in, in Vienna, their final uh, Nations League game. They're going towards that. So in the meantime.
1: Um, Austria being the cauldron of European uh, COVID infections at the moment. Or
2: yeah, I, I mean, we haven't even got to that bit yet. But <laughs> okay, absolutely, okay. absolutely okay. yeah. So that's before we even leave Norway. Um, who wouldn't, have, wouldn't be leaving Norway, it was quickly clear, were any Norwegian-based players because, exactly, they didn't want them to go to Vienna and, and, and bring something back. Now, all the overseas-based players who were in the squad and were quarantining, so... Erling Braut-Horland of, of Dortmund, Alexander Sorlot of um, Leipzig, are told they can go back to their homes in Germany to continue their quarantine. They arrive back, and actually, we'll come to this bit in a minute. We'll come to the second bit of the quarantine <laughs> in a minute. There's a cliffhanger as well in this. Because, at first, they've got to find a way to try and play this game in, in Austria, which, spoiler alert, they do end up playing last night. But... They say, well, we can't play it with any Norway-based players. The original squad is all dismissed because of what we're calling the corona outbreak. So they have to go around Europe, outside Norway, finding Norwegian players who were not part of the original squad and all but five of them? Five of the squad is uncapped? And so you you have some extraordinary tales in there so you have
1: uh, don't tell us how much they got beaten
2: by just yet no, but, yeah. no, no. <laughs> uh, so we've uh, we've we've got um, Ruben Gabrielson who plays as a centre-back in the second division in France for Toulouse who puts this brilliant Twitter video up last Sunday which is him running through his flat with a cape on holding his passport while the Avengers theme plays in the background <laughs> And it's it's very much like that. You know, um, uh, Eric Torsvet's son, Christian, who, who plays in Belgium, he's called up. Um, uh, Mats Muladali, who played briefly for Cardiff and, and, and now plays out in Germany, he, he came as well. And so anyway, they go to Austria. This, um, as Lars Sivetsen had it, um, our, our Norwegian friend, uh, our banter 11, <laughs> went, went to uh, Vienna they're winning one nil until <laughs> until the third minute of stoppage time, when Adrian Grubic of uh, Lorient rather spoils the party, equalizes, oh, make wow. sh- make sure Austria finish top of the group and are promoted to um, the next league up in in, in the Nations League anyway. But Did Oz get a
0: call? I feel been? like if you had a Norwegian passport, you might have been like. They didn't call
2: it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd be heartbroken. I mean, I felt the same way when I didn't get the Wales call when John Don't Toshak worry. was in charge. Don't worry, Nigeria I knew it was over. overlooked me as well. By the way, <laughs> God, this is this is like the worst bar chat ever, isn't
1: it? <laughs> I was talking about the Nigerian five aside. <laughs> he overlooked
2: me, but uh, of course, but this what' the result though? It's it's an incredible it's, it it's an incredible result, and obviously, um. Many of those players will be taken to the hearts of Norwegians. I don't think that necessarily they'll be asking for them to be picked again. I don't I'm not sure there'll be a national clamour for that, even if they were heroes on the night, because of course Norway's expectations are far higher up than they they used to be. Over over the last year, you think of the incorporation of Holland, the recreation of Sorlot, uh, the, the fact that um, Martin Odegaard has become one of the best players in, in La Liga, has now fi- found his way back to, to, to Real Madrid. But, th- the, you're talking of those superstars, there is a bit of a hangover, because Dortmund, for example, are expecting uh, Holland to play on Saturday night when they play Hertha Berlin. The Norwegians, or at least the Norwegian Health Department, is saying, hang on, we let you go home because... You're meant to be quarantining and you're meant to do all of that 10 day quarantine. To which Dortmund are saying, well, we kind of feel it's German law now, not Norwegian. <laughs> and of course, it's been leaked into the press that theoretically, you know, we could fine you and give you some jail time. It's like, come on. Mm. It's, it, yeah. And, and anyway, I, th- I think the way that Sarlot and Leipzig have approached it is is far more sensible where they've said, yeah, we, we weren't t- told anything. We don't know. We don't know. We just don't know.
1: <laughs> Keystone Cops, you want to add anything to that, Nicky? I d-
0: I d- only that this is like, I mean, this is a, an issue all over Europe now, I think, of um, legal authority and football authority having a different opinion about what players should and shouldn't be doing because this happened with the players based in Italy being released for this round of international games is that individual health authorities in parts of the country were trying to stop some people from travelling um, many of whom seem to manage to find their way places anyway so
2: well, Milinkovic Savic and um, Alex Kolorov left very very swiftly yeah. after their games last weekend I think only one of them's come back with Covid Kolorov is that is that right is it just Kolorov
0: I'm not 100% certain I should be
2: <laughs> mm. Um, But um, anyway, I I think the way that the Serbian FA approached that of basically, you know, if there's a fine to be paid, we'll pay it. You know, there's no sense of like, you know, world community or civic responsibility, was there? There's just, well, we've got a game to
1: play. But it's interesting when it's one a nation's jurisdiction over another. I think that's where the problem is going mm. to be here because it will all end up in the European International Courts of Justice or wherever it is in The
2: Hague.
0: It, the thing that like, just was immediately in my head, I guess maybe they all just flew um, on private jets, but how does Holland get
2: back? Holland went back commercial. Because that you, really does feel Can you believe that? It's, it's just outrageous. Yeah. Hernandez qui
0: centre bien Qui centre bien, ça a été contre dernière moment et Mbappé qui accélère ouais et Mbappé qui accélère
1: Et qui lâche ce ballon entre les jambes De notre ami Armani Et bon. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. This This week week on Stikhanov. One Direction's Liam Payne was in the studio talking to Jack Metz Happy Hour about life as a global pop star. With untold stories about his time on The X Factor Life in the world's biggest boy band And going solo This one is not to miss
2: I was part of this massive machine And I knew my part in the machine very well So I knew what I was doing every day But then when that machine falls away And you're in the world And the world's just happening around Like where do you fit?
1: You can catch the full episode on Spotify If that doesn't tickle your fancy on this week's Football Ramble Presents, Kate and Jim sat down with former Chelsea, Juventus and England striker and football legend Enia Luco to discuss her storied career and her autobiography, They Don't Teach This. Whether it's racism, whether it's bullying, whether it's sexism, often
0: these behaviours are silent. They're not always something that's said. It's a feeling, it's a set of behaviours by a group of people towards you that makes you feel incredibly isolated.
1: You can hear more from Anya Luko with Football Ramble Presents on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: All that and more. That's <laughs> the
1: So let's get on to uh, the subject I've been waiting to talk about actually ever since I started watching this team. Uh, they're called Nero Verde, are they, Nikki? Or Nero Verdi? So I'm thinking of a Roman emperor mm-hmm. and I'm thinking Verdi, the one word of colour I know in Italy. Mm-hmm. Who are they?
0: The Nero Verdi. I'm going to be mean. No, you should. With you my, should. Uh,
2: you're, not, you're not going to sing the tune, are you? I'm not. Oh, the, an- the anthem's good. Anthem you, you want to look it up? Oh, yeah. yeah. If we could cut that in, that'd be great. <laughs>
0: um, it's just literally the black and greens. A lot of the Italian team nicknames, which sort of, um, I think, sound very fun to um, international audiences, is literally just the colours they play in, which is black and green. So, um, Which is a good colour combination. I like it. <laughs> um, they're... They're playing some fantastic football this season, Sassuolo. They're, they've been my sort of favourite watch so far this season. They are second in Serie A. They are unbeaten. They have incredibly the highest possession percentage of any team in Serie A, which you think this is Oof. not a team. I, I I couldn't tell you off the top of my head exactly where they sit in the um, wage bill order, but it'd be somewhere around 11th or 12th. They're mm. very much middle of Serie A in terms of their budget lowest of, in Serie A in terms of their natural fan base because Sassuolo is not a big town um, and they've absolutely sort of been uh, reinvented over the past couple of seasons um, by Roberto Di into this possession team he was a sort of uh, a lower league journeyman midfielder who sort of has come up with this idea of well I always had the most fun when I had the ball so I want my team to have the ball because I think that'll be how they enjoy it Um and you know, he speaks about that openly, and and that sort of at his most simplistic level is just this sort of nice romantic concept. But he's um, someone who's gone and done his homework. He went and um, spent time observing Bielsa when he was in France, and and has talked about that as well as one of his big influences. That Bielsa let him come over and was incredibly generous with his time and and made all the space for him. So he's very much in that sort of um, Bielsa school, also influenced by, say, Pep Guardiola and, and others, but. They're playing really fun um, attacking football. I don't think they will be second come the end of the season because the resources are not the same as some of those other big clubs. But it's worth mentioning they've done all this despite um, in this early part of the season missing some really important players. Jeremy Boger, who was sort of their star last season, breakout star, had come from Chelsea. A lot of people thought he was going to go back to Chelsea, but he didn't. He was um, a, a sort of long-term coronavirus infection at the start of the season. Then they had um, sort of shorter absences for Chicho Caputo, who's the top scorer. Philip Juricic, who's been scoring goals a lot as well. And Domenico Barati. They're playing without all of those players and they are still getting results away to Napoli. So they're, they're really something this season. They're fun yeah, to watch. to
1: uh, yeah. Napoli. What I found, in just what Nicky was saying a moment ago, is you do see them... The way they've got smiles on their faces, they are enjoying, I know it's a cliche, they're enjoying their football, but the way that Nicky described the coach's attitude to keeping the ball, I don't think it's just about keeping the ball, but they enjoy playing the way that they're playing, they enjoy passing it to each other, they enjoy each other's company, They, they are a side that plays together and stays together in a way.
2: Yeah, there's strong Atalanta vibes, I, I, I feel. I, d- I don't want to go for the cliche of them being this season's Atalanta. Maybe I will. You're, you're here for the Italian expertise. I'll go for them being this season's Atalanta. I, I think the, the, the thing that really strikes me, what you were saying about um, playing with the ball there, I think is is quite important. It's, it's one of the real philosophical debates in terms of coaching teams in, in the modern game because there's a feeling that it's a more athletic sport than ever before, that you have to be prepared more than ever before, even though we don't consider fitness going on 10-mile runs anymore because mm-hmm. that's not especially valuable. Like, interval training's a lot more valuable. But I remember speaking to um, Leonardo Jardim of, of Monaco about this um, a couple of years ago and um, he's saying to him, like, when you arrived in France, you're a... You're a coach who believes in playing with the, training with the ball a lot. and he was criticised a lot when arrived, when he arrived in France, because the thought was, you know, his teams have to make sure they're fit enough. That's the difference between coaching in Portugal and France. It's that physicality. And he said, well, yeah, but look at it this way: if I was a concert pianist. Would I run around the piano five times before I start playing? <laughs> I'm like, well, it I'm I'm not quite sure that's the right comparison, but he's someone who feels very passionately to to keep players' attention spans and to keep them engaged. That that is the most important thing, mm-hmm. as 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 you say, like the, the, to keep them engaged all the time. Which, especially when you're working with a squad in the modern game is super important and they have had to rely on those players because as you say, Juricic has currently got coronavirus. They're were, they were looking at maybe shifting Boga for quite a lot of money in, mm-hmm. the, in the summer. A lot of teams are looking at him and, you know, he was, I think he was the dribbliest player in Europe, wasn't it? I, I yeah. don't know really if that's the correct phrase. Lots of take-ons or, or, or whatever he's like, He did a lot of dribbling. Yes. Uh, and, you know, he was he was someone who really opened up the game for them. But it's going to be an enormous boost for them when he when he does come back, isn't
0: it? Oh well he's he is back. Um in right. fact he sort of his return was timed quite well for being missing Caputo and Juracich and Berardi, which mm. is all of your top three scorers. Boga came back at just the moment to sort of be that outlet and it was essentially in that game against Napoli actually because that game um missing all of your sort of normal goal scorers what you did at least have was a player who you could get the ball to who you knew could make something happen who could be a dribbler, a dribbliest I don't know how to say it now a dribbler (laughs) I've led us down a bit of
2: a blind alley there (laughs) Um,
0: I think the point that you sort of touched on about having fun um, like there's an even bigger tangent we could go on with that about the national teams because I think that sort of to hark back to a conversation we had about Germany and and I think looking at some of the other national teams that are on the up at the moment Mm. I think it's so important in international football. I think the difference in mindset of when you go away thinking I'm going to have a good time and enjoy this time away from my club to when it's not working is huge in its impact on how international teams do but that is a tangent Mm. Um, The other player I really want to talk about from this team is Domenico Berardi um, Good week with Italy? Yes exactly um a, a player who's had a, a great week playing for the Italian national team and I think a, a lot of people um my hunch is a lot of people in England might be sort of loosely familiar with that name as someone say in England because we are in England but internationally I suppose is a better way to put that as someone who burst onto the scene as a teenager famously scored four goals for Sassuolo against Milan which basically got Max Allegri the boot which brilliantly Berardi since sort of being interviewed about that was like well I kind of did him a favour didn't I because he went after Juventus (laughs) and won the league Um, but um, he had that sort of moment and he was um, bought on co-ownership by Juventus he was expected to go to Juventus and become the next big thing Um, and instead he turned Juventus down in 2016 and said I want to stay here and I think a lot of people felt like well wrong mindset too much of a small mentality, missed his chance and is going to be one of these sort of lost talents. Um, and what's fascinating is, I think um, the opposite may be true, because he turned down Juventus with with some thought behind it. He'd watched Simone Zaza go to Juventus and not play enough and mm. kind of become, I mean, he's had an OK career, Simone Zaza, but he isn't, hasn't sort of gone on to become everything that people hoped for him. Um, what happened to Berardi at Sassuolo is I think his previous manager, Eusebio Di Francesco, who of course went on to Roma, um, pigeonholed him too much. He became sort of, um, in those first couple of years, he was sort of really famous for being left-footed winger who would cut him from the right and score basically, like do that move. And mm. I think defences worked him out and Di Francesco was still just asking him to do that. Whereas De Zerbi with this new... All team involved passing play has made him much more integrated. You can see it in the numbers. He shoots less, shoots less from outside the box. He passes way more, and I think we're starting to see him become just a much more well-rounded footballer these last two years. And I think that's so much down to De Zerbi, but it's it's really exciting because I feel like Berardi is really like one of these lost talents of Italian football who's now on the verge in his mid twenties of having a huge breakout.
2: But now, do you think there's maybe Nikki a sort of Maybe the word spreading a little bit around Europe because you look at Maxim Lopez, who's ended up going there from yeah. Marseille, who's, who's a great young midfield talent, a really streetwise footballer, I think, in the, in the best Marseille tradition. But I think it's not unreasonable to say that a couple of years ago he never would have accepted a move to Sassuolo, even, even though he really needed to, to leave Marseille. Mm. And when we talk about that joy of playing... The goal that he ended up scoring against Napoli, we were talking about it earlier, weren't we? When before we came in here, Don, and it seemed as if he went on one of those playground dribbles where you don't really know where you're going. In the but all of a sudden, area. yeah, he, he realizes he's right in front of goal. He's like, oh, "I suppose I probably better prod it towards the goal," then, hadn't I? And that that was that was one of those moments that that, that made me think it's it's maybe becoming a destination club.
0: I think it's a look, Destination is is relative. I'm sure it's yeah. a stepping stone club for all of these players. Yeah. But Maxime Lopez going and playing alongside Manuel Locatelli, another kid who was a teenager at Milan who sort of burst onto the scene and everyone was like, Locatelli's only 22. Mm. I think in my head he has to be older than that because of how long Same. he's been around. Yeah. Um, But that's, yeah, it's, it's a midfield pairing who have been told, despite relatively young years, run the game, have the ball, dictate things. And... Look, Sassuolo have had a relatively gentle fixture list to start the season. Um, Napoli is the one sort of really big standout game, and they won it, missing a bunch of players. I think they will still come unstuck against some teams where, that have more.
1: Where do you think they'll end up then, if not second? Where do you think they'll end up at the end of the I season? I
0: expect them to challenge for Europe now. I think that, I think there's enough there to believe in that. Um, and I think Deserby's star is going to be hugely in the ascendant by the end of this year I think he's going to be um, a manager who big clubs are looking at
2: well we always talk about Portugal but there's actually a load of Italian coaching talent out there at the moment isn't there like, mm-hmm. like relatively young Italian coaching talent out there
0: yeah absolutely um, of course now you're saying that and putting on the spot my main mind has just gone completely blank for other names but um,
2: uh, well, Simone Inzaghi will get his Simone Inzaghi, somewhere absolutely, else absolutely
0: um, who's done a, a great job at, uh, at Napoli over the last few years Um I mean, Gasperini's not a young man, but everything he's done at Atalanta mm. is obviously very striking after he didn't make um, the best of his time at Inter a few seasons ago. You've got currently unemployed Max Allegri, who's been to two Champions League finals. Mm. Um, there's certainly no shortage. But then in Italy, oh, Stefano Pioli, of course. I mean, and again, not a young man, but perhaps someone who's sort of having his moment that, mm. that he sort of hadn't been acknowledged for how well he'd done up to this. Um but I think it, Italy has always believed it has the best managers. We have the best manager schools, so of course we have the best managers.
1: I love the way that uh, Solo came back against Bologna. I thought that was a really exciting match. Seven goal thriller. They were down, I think they were down 2-0 yeah. you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. Then came back, it showed a lot of resilience, but also just outclassed. They started off poorly, but then. Turned it around and outclassed Bologna, I thought, in any case. And, you know, with the Napoli, it was much more of a grind of a game, I think. And, you know, they had the Mm -hmm. couple of moments that they scored their goals, but it was much more... Napoli gave them much more of a harder grind, um, I thought, in the end.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, the way they play, because they insist on playing the ball, they give the ball away at the back a lot.
1: I mean, that's really the
0: biggest problem with the team right now, is they've got a lot of defenders being asked to pass the ball out, who I'm not sure are that good at it. Um,
1: But... Uh, the goalie certainly isn't good at it. <laughs> the goalie certainly shouldn't be passing the ball out from the back because almost let a goal in. A brilliant recovery save, having said that. But um, am I talking about the same match? <laughs> You're looking at me no, both blankly. No, no, are, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it but... was a recovery match. He just kicked the ball, hit yeah. the opposition player and was about to gain the goal and then he just dived and saved it last minute. I thought yeah. it was brilliant.
0: But it's you know, if you can score four goals, you can concede three.
1: That was a Kevin Keegan theory. <laughs> yeah. um, we'll look at him now, that's all I can say. I'm not sure I should go down that line. That's gonna be Germany at the Euros next summer. Wait and see. So it's the time for you both to declare a match of the week each. I'm looking forward to this one. What should we be watching this weekend?
0: There will come a week when I come on this show and don't say an Italian game, but it's, <laughs> it's, not, this it's week not this week, because it's Milan-Napoli this week, which is a huge game. Um, Milan, like Sassuolo, are unbeaten. They're actually top of the table. Um, the Ibrahimovic show is ongoing, and we talked about it last time I came on here. Um, Milan are in an interesting spot, because Stefano Pioli, who I just named, um as a manager who's done such impressive work there. I mean, they're unbeaten since the lockdown domestically. So not just unbeaten this season, actually. They're unbeaten in months and months and months. Um, he's um got coronavirus. So does his assistant, which means they're down to their sort of third choice manager, if you will. Ooh. Daniela Bonera is going to be on the bench this weekend. Who... I was
2: expecting Max Headroom on a <laughs> plinth or something like that.
0: <laughs> so they have an interesting situation there. I think Napoli have taken bigger losses, though, because Victor Ossiman... Um, dislocated his shoulder on international duty uh timo bakayoko also um has had a fever this week and he's apparently been tested and it isn't covid because of course you can still be ill from other things Mm. um so if both of those players are missing i think those are big losses but a really big game because napoli have have, you know played well this season they're in the top four so yeah big game at the top of syria
1: uh, do you want to explain before you tell us what your match is uh, for the younger listeners who Max Headroom is? Because there's
2: be a generation or two that have missed that. He was uh, th- this sort of, I guess, talking head and shoulder, computer generated guy with blonde hair and dark glasses. He was I not on television on, a lot during the 80s, wasn't
1: he? I learned later on that he was at the National Youth Theatre with me, but I, I don't remember him from those days.
2: Did he not wear the dark glasses? <laughs> I don't or, think he, did, he, did he not don't come think, to school inside I, a television? I don't think he was digitally generated at that point. <laughs> yeah, that was a difference. Anyway, so what's your match today? Well, my match has also got its um, share of absentees. It's Saturday night as opposed to Sunday night, so you've got, you've got your viewing for both weekend nights from us. Um, it's Atletico versus Barcelona, which is on, on, on Saturday night at 8 o'clock um we talked about being unbeaten since lockdown same goes for atletico um they've looked fantastic barcelona not quite in the spot at the moment i think it's fair to say um the the real upsetting thing about this and obviously is not nice for anyone to get coronavirus no luis suarez and you know how he would have loved to have a go at Barcelona. And this is a source of some controversy, actually, Um, because, I, I mean, we've all talked about whether international football should be going on or not at the moment. Um, And the fact that, you know, this, I, I don't even think it's the travelling, really. It's just the fact that you've got players from so many different clubs mixing together. It's just far from ideal. And what you had with Uruguay, because not only is... Luis Suarez out, but Lucas Torreira has also got coronavirus. That's right, two Uruguayans. And there's this footage that um, Enrique Cerezo, the president of Atletico, was talking about yesterday, of obviously it being international duty, it being Uruguay, them having a massive barbecue, and them having a massive barbecue where they're all sat next to each other without masks on, and that must be so frustrating. If you're a, a, a president or a coach, or I suppose even a teammate of one of those players, building up to the biggest game of the season, and this really quite, well, we can't say it's totally avoidable situation. I could have got it anywhere, but that sort of footage is obviously going to drive you absolutely mad because you know it's, it's something that Atletico have had no influence on. It's it's not their fault. They've started the season really well, but. If you have reason for optimism, two words, Joao Felix. Remember from last time, Joao? It's going to be that all over again on Saturday, I think. He's playing brilliantly. It's a great player. A um, couple of goals on international duty as well. And now people are saying out loud, yeah, he can be the new Ronaldo. He can take Ronaldo's place. He's the place, most exciting
1: player is, in Europe at uh, the moment for me.
2: I mean, it's a, but for, in Portugal, to say that there's this guy who could take over from Ronaldo... That, that's sacrilege. That's, that's like standing up in the middle of a restaurant and going, I'm the new Pope. <laughs> but that they, they feel so strongly that this guy, much like yourself, Dotton, there's something very, very special about him. And, you know, this would be the, the feather in the cap of what is a very good start to the season if he could get them to beat Barcelona. Because Barcelona are a team that since Atletico went and won their, um, or drew their, I should say, on the last day of 2013 14 to win the La Liga title. Um, they've really struggled against them. Um, They've won a couple of times against them in Europe, but in the league, they've really struggled against them and they've just become this thing that Diego Simeone has has really struggled to deal with. So he should do what he's done very successfully at every point since the summer, which is, you know what, do I need to reinvent myself? Why don't we just give the ball to Ralph Felix and he'll sort it out?
1: I'm not the new Pope, but I've learned to say Nier Verde. (laughs) (laughs)